This episode of The Change Log is brought to you by Pusher.com. Pusher is a hosted API for quickly adding scalable real-time functionality to web and mobile apps. If you're building anything that needs to get data from the server back to the client asynchronously, you need to check out Pusher. They've got a number of tutorials to help you get started, everything from a quick start guide to building a real-time chat client, push notifications, activity streams, and more. Use our coupon code, THECHANGELOG, to save 15% off your first month. Join the real-time web today and get your free API account. Head to pusher.com. Changelog episode 0.8.3. I'm Adam Stokoviak. And I'm Wynn Netherland. This is The Changelog. We cover what's fresh and new and open source. If you found us on iTunes, we're also up on the web at changelog.com. We're also up on GitHub. You can head to github.com slash explore. You'll find some trending reposts, some feature reposts from our blog, as well as the audio podcast. And if you're on Twitter, follow The Changelog and me, Adam Stack. And I'm Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-I-N-N. Speaking of explore, you'll notice that there's no more player on explore. So the folks at GitHub, we've decided to remove the player from there to save a few kilobytes across the site, so I'm sure you'll appreciate that. So you have to link back to the website to listen to the episodes now, but no biggie, we're still there. Yeah, we're still there. Fun episode this week, we talked to Ruben Daniels from Cloud9, got the scoop on some, what's the latest uh, Ace developer tools in their Cloud9 suite? Man, you know, I'm so excited about what this is going to do. I think this is just a... You know, an editor in the cloud. I mean, you as a Vim uh, person, you must just you know love what this is going to do for just taking your environment anywhere. Be cool. I, it's going to take a while to get me off of uh, text mode. I got to tell you, I'm loving it more and more. But uh, for those folks that you know want to just open up a browser and have their editor anywhere, it's amazing just the the sheer feat of what they've done in the browser with Cloud Nine. I'm just amazed it, it behaves like a native application in many ways. It kind of reminds me of whenever everybody was like in the enterprise trying to go to thin clients, right? It's kind of the same thing. Your dev environment isn't your local machine anymore. It's on the server. It's like pants legs width. We just, in the industry, keep oscillating <laughs> back and forth between fat and thin clients. It's we like sure cut and skinny jeans, you know? That's true. It's a fun episode this week. Should we get to it? Let's do it. We're chatting today with Ruben Daniels and Matt Pardee from Cloud9. So why don't you guys introduce yourselves, Ruben? Why don't you go first? So I'm Ruben. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cloud9 IDE and a developer myself, but um, today also uh, doing all the stuff that, uh, that CEOs do. And I'm uh, Matt Pardee. I am the developer evangelist for Cloud9 and also a developer on the platform and uh, wearer of many hats at Cloud9. We should mention you guys are co-workers with Tim Caswell, friend of the show that was on a couple of episodes back talking about Lua and Lovett. So for folks that don't know, I guess Cloud9, they probably used it, might not even know it. It's the editor that powers uh, the README editor on GitHub. Is that right? Definitely. Um, it's, a, it's a very, very powerful editor. And uh, we worked together with, with, with Chris from GitHub to, uh, to integrate it. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a multifunctional editor having all sorts of themes, and everything from um, multi-selections to uh, 
uh, to all sorts of uh, strange language support. Let's talk a bit about your business and business model behind it. So Cloud9 is an open source editor, the IDE, but it also has a platform behind it. Is that right? That's correct. We, we decided that we wanted to um, make as much as we possibly could open source. So not only the editor is open source, but also actually the, the IDE application. And then the software that we use to, to manage and scale the platform itself, we, we kept close and to provide the service. What sort of server architecture are you employing? So it's an, uh, a multi-tiered architecture where we have a, a proxy in the front that, that's uh, dynamically scaled based on the need. We have a second layer, which what we call IDE servers, um, that do uh, a multi-user, multi-workspace servers that get the request from the, from the proxy. And then behind that, we have another layer where um, people, people's code is run, actually, and all the things that they do on the console as well. So I didn't hear Node in that, but I'm assuming it's a Node server based on uh, Tim's employment there. <laughs> Every, everything's Node. Yeah, all, all these different layers, each, each is Node. Are you guys employing Node in the build process for the IDE as well? Yeah, the, all the build scripts are in Node. Um, the, uh, the connectors are, are in Node. One of the, the cool things that we've been working on is this uh, virtual file system layer that sits between the IDE server and um, the, the servers behind it. And this virtual file system allows the IDE server to, to connect over SSH to a node process that, that runs there and perform all sorts of uh, tasks like reading files, starting processes, um, doing, doing file watching and, and, and things like that. And VFS is actually uh, open source on GitHub. So let's talk about that for a moment. The um, virtual file system, what sorts of file systems... Is it virtualizing, I guess, is the question. So it vir virtualizes um, a local file system, and um, SSH is one of the things that, that we've been adding, and um, we'll add some more in the, in the future. It's basically the start of a, um, of a complete set of, of, uh, of support for these things. I think we'll, um, we'll come out with some, uh, some integrations with, uh, with commercial services um, that, uh, that have REST APIs for all their file access soon. Matt, is that your role to onboard, I guess, integration partners to figure out how they could latch onto the platform and extend it? Yeah, so we'll be uh, ramping up that process later. But, um, but yeah, I'll be, you know, working with making sure that our platform is ready for all developers to get on board with and uh, that it makes sense. And uh, you know, this is kind of a new frontier for development and um, getting, getting uh, partners onto this kind of platform. And so we have to make it make sense and um, make sure people understand the workflow and, and how they can kind of latch into their existing services or technologies and uh, really take advantage of this freedom and power of developing in the cloud. So, Ruben, some folks may be taking a double take. You've been on the show before in a previous incarnation of the brand, Ajax.org. Why don't you talk a bit about the transition between that brand and the new brand and if it involved a pivot at all? <laughs> well, uh, yes, I mean, definitely. Um, so Ajax.org, we used when we were creating a, um, an Ajax framework, actually. So the name made sense. It was a little bit generic, but we, we created an open source framework to build UIs in the browser. And we thought it was a great framework, just not a great business. So at a certain point, we, we created the IDE with this framework, and we noticed that 
you can actually create a, a business building building an ID and support all the open source work that you're doing. And we raised a little bit of money from uh, from Excel, Excel Partners, uh, a famous VC here in the in the valley. Um, so so we had the funds as well to start going and doing um, this work on, on on the IDE. So we pivoted the company, basically going from building this this UI framework to building uh, an IDE and, and and selling it as well online. So you guys had Ajax.org as the domain name for that. The previous incarnation hard to improve upon that but you have with c9.io just noticed that that's a great short domain looking Thanks. at the screenshots for cloud 9 ide it looks you know a lot like sublime or google chrome this runs in the browser yeah i mean um uh, we definitely looked at chrome for the tabs and how chrome deals with tabs is uh, is very very cool so we, we copied that and there, there are also some some aspects of Sublime that are uh, very new and, and and very interesting. And you know, if, if somebody innovates on um, on a certain type of interaction, it, it it makes only sense to to look at that and and use this inspiration for your own. So we we've done that in with, with the new version of um, of Cloud Nine. You'll notice that there's a, a lot of things that uh, were inspired by other things that are already pre-existing. So some of the things that are given in a text editor, keyboard shortcuts, syntax highlighting, talk a bit about those features. Right. So yeah, we spend a lot of time uh, on those. People seem to be really, really passionate about it. And we get a lot of people supporting um, uh, us with, you know, creating new uh, syntax highlighters. And they're all, um, uh, you know, issuing pull requests uh, on, on Ace to do that. I think we have about... 50 syntax highlighters now, somewhere there. And um, a lot of themes as well. They're really passionate about that too. And um, and, and so are we actually. Um, so um, what was the other part of, uh, of your question again, sorry? So the keyboard shortcuts, I noticed that you support both Vim and Emacs key bindings. How much of, um, how configurable is that? And did the browsers tend to get in the way in different platforms on some of those? Right, yeah, that's been a challenge. The browsers do get in the way, and you have to work around some of the shortcuts that you would otherwise choose. Um, but overall, uh, it's it's been doable. We've been able to uh, uh, to be uh, creative with with key combinations uh, to have uh, the shortcuts that we, that we want. There's a default set, and then indeed there's an Emacs and and Vim set. Um, and generally, we build a system so that it's it's really really easy to create these type of um, uh, of sets, and you can do that in a plugin. In the future, we'll also have a, a UI to set these type of key bindings, but right now that's something that that you can easily do in a plugin. I noticed the browser is telling me to unlock extra features by installing a Chrome extension. Um, is that how you get around some of those limitations? That's mostly for um, cut, copy, and paste via context menus, which is, um, you could say, an, an edge case, but still something that a lot of people do. And currently, if you don't have that plugin installed and you right-click and you do copy, it will only be available within that browser frame. If you go to, to another place outside that, you won't be able to, uh, to paste that content. If you use Command-C or Command-V, um, you can, but with the context menu, you, you can't. So... Uh, that un unlocks that. I think everyone in the company had an aneurysm when they found out that you couldn't actually do that, that it wasn't available. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's true. And 
Um, I think there's probably some more features that will come out as browsers uh, move along that we can integrate better by installing a Cloud9 plugin, so to speak, on um, on a Chrome web store or other browser environments that are doing the same thing, like Mozilla. Yeah, then what you really notice is that browser vendors are noticing that to build real applications with HTML5, CSS, as um, the way to to be the presentation of those applications, you need to integrate better with the operating system. And we notice that ourselves, uh, being able to access the file system or start processes locally is essential for, um, in, in our case, the offline use case. So with this next release, which, um, and, uh, you know... Will be out by the time this airs? Exactly. <laughs> um, so with the new version of Cloud9, you're able to uh, to go offline when you want to. And the way that we've implemented that is that you download a small little node app that you run persistently on your computer and it will automatically sync all your files from the cloud to local and from local to the cloud. So as soon as you're offline, this, the changes are saved locally and the moment that you go online again, they're, they're moved to the cloud. Now, this type of solution, we feel, should in the future just be very simple to code within the browser. And I know that um, many of the browser vendors are already working on these type of APIs to make that possible. So in the online scenario, do you have any multi-user features baked in where it would support a pairing scenario? Good question. Um, yes, and, and that's been our vision and I think the, the promise of, of an ID in the cloud to very, very easily work together in, in, in teams. And we are ourselves uh, a company where I think in, in 10 countries or something like that, we'll have, we have developers. And um, working together sometimes can be a little bit of a pain. Right? You're stuck with something that someone else built and you're trying to get their, their help, but you have to do some screen sharing solution and then you can type. Um, so we try to build a solution where you can do real-time collaborative editing on documents, um, multiple documents, and even your entire workspace um, in the cloud. So you'll just be able to go to Cloud9, copy the URL of the workspace that you're in, and then share it with someone else. And you can start typing, give that person read-write access. And they'll be able to not only type the code, but also um, run the program within your uh, workspace. Um, and what we even added is the ability to debug code together. So you can set a breakpoint, hit it, and both uh, participants or multiple participants will see what's going on. They can both step through, inspect variables, and these type of things. So we feel that that's a very, very new way of, of developing code for, uh, for people that are remote. We've got a lot of uh, code repository options baked in, GitHub, Bitbucket, Mercurial, even FTP. Hopefully no, nobody's still using that sort of live to save the live uh, workflow. Also, You'd be surprised. Some, I, I know, I say that facetiously. Um, also, a lot of deployment options, Joint, Heroku, some of the usual cloud suspects. Um, what about CI? Is that still something that you would integrate in with your code repository, or do you have any plans for continuous integration in with your editor? So um, let, let me answer that question first by um, talking about our test panel, which is which is something new. And the test panel allows people to very easily run all the tests within their project. And it's a very pluggable architecture. We're launching with just a, a way to run a node a unit tests. 
but we already have a, a plugin for um, for Selenium as well. So you can add all sorts of tests there that you can run automatically, even at every save or um, with some pattern that you specify. So what about support for pre-processing languages, Compass, SAS, uh, even CoffeeScript? It looks like a lot of times in the front end, it seems heavy to have to install a lot of um, tools and I guess, dial tone to get those projects in place that could just be baked into my editor. Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, we worked on upgrading our console interface, which is built into Cloud9 at the bottom of the IDE. And we enabled uh, the ability to run NPM packages right from the terminal, from the console. And we already actually allowed users to use NPM to install uh, packages from uh, npm.js.org right into their Cloud9 project, either locally or as a global NPM package. And uh, now we built in the ability so that when you type in uh, an NPM package such as Coffee, for instance, that it will go and search and find that package that you have installed. If it finds it, then it will run it. And if it has a standard input prompt, then uh, you can actually interact with that. So this is great news for developers who work with Express and they want to scaffold a lot of applications or they work with coffee and they want to either um, you know, build their entire coffee project, coffee script project rather, or um, and just even interact with the REPL directly from the console. And so we give them a little prompt that indicates what process is running and um, they can type in whatever coffee script they want and uh, get the feedback right away. And this is really great. Uh, developers can kind of reconsider how they use NPM packages in general because it is now a part of their cloud development process. And so you can almost think of some of these packages as general software packages. Um, you know, you can code your own NPM package to uh, compile CoffeeScript or build different things and uh, put it on npmjs.org and then install it in your Cloud9 application. And they have now over 10,000 um, packages out there that you can try on Cloud9. Many of them have um, the ability to be run from the command line, and that's what we look for. So um, it's really exciting for people who do less and coffee script development and so on and so forth because now the console can accommodate for those kinds of um for those for that kind of so it sounds like coffee script and stylus and less would be supported pretty trivially but um some of the ruby based languages like compass and sass would be a bigger stretch yeah exactly so um we do have to make some limitations about what you can install in a shared environment but um but uh yeah for the other things that that come with npm um, then those are usually uh, can be run in a shared environment like we provide. So, so but the nice thing with, with this new release is, is that we're giving everyone that's, um, that's a premium user uh, a full environment. So anybody that uh, gets a premium account gets one uh, environment in their workspace where they can just run any type of uh, executable. And they get an individual environment per project that they that they create. So if they want to run Ruby or Python or, or PHP or or anything really, they can just do that, and it it, it runs uh, completely isolated from any other project. 
Um, so those security restrictions that we need to have on the on the shared environment are are lifted, and you can run. We run um, a Python in interactive mode, and and that just uh, all works fine right from within the console of Cloud Nine. Any integration with services like Gist or Pastebin? Not yet, but we uh, we definitely want to do that, and um, uh, I think that that's something that. Uh, we can do once we have sort of the basic workflows that we envision uh, ready. So you guys are pretty excited about the release that uh, just came out prior to this airing. What's on the roadmap of what you can talk about for the next six months? I think that one of the most important things is um, API stability. Um, we've seen with you know Eclipse and, and Visual Basic and, and many of these other tools that the ecosystem, a lot of people just being able to, to, to change and, and create plugins for these type of um, uh, IDEs is really, really important. And we have several hundred plugins right now for Cloud9, but to, to really be able to create durable plugins, you need to have a stable API and a well-documented API as well. So our goal for the next three months or so is to, to actually do that and build that. And we already started with a lot of things that we've done um, with this release are to cater for uh, for that. Uh, one of those things is Architect, which is another open source library that um, is sort of, I think that Rick, our CTO, called it um, COM for JavaScript. But it's it's really a an, an, an plugin system that's, that's very, very generic and, and very nice and creates a, a loose coupling between different um, modules, having sort of a service-like uh, architecture uh, within, uh, within uh, uh, in this case, a node process. Um, Having started my development career in the late 90s, com for JavaScript might not be the best marketing slogan. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's, it might not be the best marketing slogan, but it's at least a way to understand what it is. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Let's talk about the anatomy of a plug-in. Um, is it purely client-side code that plugs into the open-source IDE, or do you have anything like a the equivalent of a Heroku add-on that would be a server-side addition as well so um so currently actually architect only runs on the server um, and our work for the next month or so is to get it on the client as well so we have the same architecture on the on the client and the server and that's something that we can do because we run javascript on both ends um, and a plugin is 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 a very simple simple module with only a couple of calls to initialize it um, and and it can ask for um, or request other services, and the services will implement uh, a certain API, which it can then use. Um, Matt, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on this. Yeah, so um, I got my feet wet with Architect recently, and it's a wonderfully elegant, simple uh, solution for any level node application that you want to build. And it happened to suit our needs for Cloud9 because um, we wanted this idea of isolation and reusability. And, you know, when I started working with Architect after it had kind of, kind of been created, I, I was really blown away. You can start from a really simple foundation. And, for instance, if you wanted to create the kind of, uh, you know, proverbial to-do application, you might have a database module and a... Um, you know, an HTTP module to actually serve the web page. And then you, you may even have an authentication module because you only want certain people to, to uh, access the application and or access the database, rather. 
And um, what Architect allows you to do is, is allows you to put those three separate modules into each one of their components and then, uh, and then add to a pool of resources by registering themselves and saying, this is what I'm providing to the rest of the world. And then every other module can say, this is what I want to consume. And so the HTTP module might only need to interact with the authentication module to allow people to access the web page. And then there might be a separate controller that will access the database. The great thing about it is that it simplifies the process, but it also makes it so that you don't have to really consider your application um, as starting from a web-based interface and then going back to the authentication interface and then going back to the database interface. You can consider all of these things as part of one big pool. And so it may be a little bit of a tweak on people's mental models of how an application works, but once you actually start working with it, you realize that it frees your mind to think of other possibilities so that if you have another part of your application that wants to use the database, it's already available for you if you just ask for it. And uh, it might seem trivial or just like a, a basic idea, but when you just say, I want to have this database that already exists over here, then you can use that. And even better, you can then use that database module as part of another application really effortlessly. You don't have to cut and paste different parts of your scripts or you know uh, application code. You can just take it out and put it back into something else. And we even facilitate that process uh, by making it so you can separate these different components into either a plugin that exists as part of your application or you can even install it via NPM. And so you, we even have um, different components like uh, we've created an HTTP module called Architect HTTP that I believe is available on NPM. And so when you download this application, you know, Architect from GitHub, and we have some examples that go along with it, you can just do NPM install on one of the uh, demos and it will install the needed plugins um, from NPM directly. So it makes your entire, not even your application scale really easily, but it also makes the process of developing your application scale really well as well so that everyone else can you know, um, work on different components and update those components as needed. I think that one of the limitations that we found just using the basic require uh, system is that we couldn't easily... Um, use and test only parts of the system. And so that, that's one thing that, that this system provides. Another thing is that it also allows for out-of-process um, parts. So I could take a, a plugin and, and run it out-of-process and still use the same uh, way of communicating between them. Um, and I think that that can be very powerful. You course, have to be very careful with that and make sure that, that the plugins that you do that with are architected for this type of, uh, of behavior. Um, so yeah, we're really excited about, about Architect and, and using that both on the server and the client. And what we are looking to sort of evolve Cloud9 into in the next couple of months is uh, an environment where it's really easy to develop these types of plugins, try them out, you know, start and stop them without having to restart the server. And then also being able to um, uh, to provide a way to easily get them uh, you know, running in a secure way on the online platform. Let's talk about the average workflow for a moment. So signing into Cloud9, if I authenticate with GitHub, then I see all of my public repos, I guess private repos as well. Um, and then if I click on one of those, to get started, I have to clone that 
the Cloud9 servers. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And then as I make changes or invite other people to collaborate on that project, how do changes get upstream back to GitHub? So there's the, the command line that we touched upon a, a little while ago. And uh, you can type uh, type git commit or git push, and that will um, commit back to uh, to your origin, which will be your, your uh, git repository somewhere else. So essentially, when you clone, it sets it up as a remote here on Cloud9? Yes. The origin is still back at GitHub? Yeah, definitely. It's a really nice command line console at the bottom of the screen. This is one of those things that uh, normally web-based editors make massive trade-offs, but this seems to, I guess, combine the best of both worlds. That's what we're trying to do, and we've uh, had people being really enthusiastic about not having to uh, change windows, but just having that all in, in one UI. And there are all sorts of sh shortcuts to uh, switch easily. Shift Escape will go to uh, to the console, uh, Control Escape will open up the, uh, the the output. So it's um, a very nice way to work generally, yeah. So one of the common features in editors is what Microsoft calls IntelliSense and code completion in Xcode. You guys have anything like that? I think that this, this feature is the most requested feature by our users. I mean, we have, we have 120,000 users now, and, um, and we, we often ask them, what would you like? And this type of you know, solution offers a way to very quickly um, type things without having to, to know what the APIs are exactly. So we spend a lot of time on, on, on building that. In the past few months, we hired uh, some very intelligent uh, guys that uh, got their PhD in this area. And they built a solution for JavaScript that I think can can match the solution that exists out there for for Java and and other um, you know, strongly typed languages. But they managed to do it for for the weekly type JavaScript using a, another open source project of ours called Treehugger. And and Treehugger allows you to query code um, as with a query language very similar to. Um, you have query languages for, for databases or, or, or XML, but in this case, it, you query code and you um, can match code based on its, um, its structure, its so-called AST, rather than uh, just the, the, the characters that are there. So, so we use that, and that, that will um, uh, be available for many other languages uh, later on, but right now it's there for JavaScript, and we have... Uh, uh, Node.js documentation support in there as well. So that means that when you want to try out some, some Node.js calls and you don't remember what they're like, you just type in the first first letters or just type alt space or control space and you get um, help and auto-completion immediately. Just from a consumer perspective, it seems like a lot of um, IDEs are tied to the platform that for which they're developing. Visual Studio for Microsoft, Nextcode for Coco and the Apple platforms. Um, it appears that if you had somewhere where you could uh, pick off customers at the fringe, it would be in the Eclipse market. Is that a market that you're going after? So Eclipse, I think, is mostly catered towards Java. And it's a, indeed a very big group of developers. And um, But outside of Vim, it, it just, you know, my own observations, it appears that Eclipse has the most try to be all things all people approach. Right, right. I think that there's there's value in, in being specific and providing tools for 
for certain environments. And I don't think that a lot of you know, script languages or dynamic languages have good IDEs. So there are a lot of people now that are using text editors with you know, these basic, basic forms of, of autocomplete or, or other tools, and, and they don't know any better. So what we're trying to do with Cloud9 is provide the richness that people in the, in the Java and the .NET community know uh, they, they can have from their IDE and provide that for the people that are writing in these script languages. And it, it is possible. So that's our focus right now. But on, in, on the longer term, we're definitely also support um, you know, the, those, those bigger languages. Regular listeners know that we normally end with a few questions. One of those is, what's your text editor? I think I know the answer to that one. So let me ask you, Matt, first, who's your programming hero? Oh, man, that's a good question. You know, I, I'm going to say uh, Linus uh, Torvalds, and the reason is because I think that he's often misunderstood in the way that uh, that he responds to developers and what we see a lot of times online. But um, I have to say the deeper that I go into Git, because I'm a Mac guy and I don't use Linux, so the more I go into Git, um, the more profound respect I have for what he did there. And uh, I'm not a type of guy who adds up what a programmer did over his lifetime, and it's kind of just still relevant to me that I use Git every day. So, um, um, you know, my answer might be a little bit more short-sighted um, than some of the giants in the programming history books, but um, but I really have a lot of respect for for the thinking that he did on Git and um, how one person's idea like that can impact millions of developers. And um, I think Git is great. And obviously what Linux has done for, for everyone else in the world um, is also pretty incredible. So, yeah, I'll go with Linus. How about you, Ruben? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I crowdsource this question right now. People, 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 uh, people don't have an answer. Are you doing a phone a friend on Twitter? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm using Skype. <laughs> um, can I have a, have a different question? You can you can email it to me and I can put it in the show notes. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll do that. <laughs> cool. Well, nice work, guys. It's a great editor and it's a great platform that you guys are building and I look forward to um, where you guys take it in the next few months. Thank you very much, Wynn. Uh, it's great being on your show, and um, I'd love to have everyone uh, try it out on C9 Yeah, thanks, Wynn.